you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 16, the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. This morning we are going to be considering the first 13 verses. As we prepare to hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the nourishment that your word provides to our souls. And we come before you this morning declaring and saying, Lord, that we desire to be fed. We need your word. We are hungry, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill us with its truth, cause us to abound in knowledge and understanding, we pray. We pray that you would open your word to our hearts and that you would open our hearts to your word. We pray all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called, and he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I, I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail... They may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. Thus far the reading of his word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus, I am God, your God. 
is such a humbling and awe-invoking statement proclaimed by the living God, the covenant Lord, to his people, isn't it? He proclaimed this to Israel. He proclaims this to us today. And as we continue our consideration of stewardship in Christ's church, this is an important place to start in growing in our understanding of the why and the how of being faithful stewards. He indeed is God. He is the sovereign Lord, the creator, the owner, and the sustainer of all that is. God is the sustainer of our very lives. Christ is the redeemer and sustainer of our very souls. We are wholly his. We are eternally his. Praise the Lord. And as we consider God's words through Asaph last week in Psalm 50, about God being the grand owner over all the world, there's nothing that doesn't belong to him. No nation, no person, no creature, no particle, no atom, no subatomic matter, nothing that doesn't belong to him. Remember and think upon this for a moment. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is no creature or part of his creation that he doesn't know. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, he says. The world is his in all its fullness. No one can justly contest God's dominion over them, though they may and do try. And as we grasp his ownership of everything more and more, even as he made his legal case against Israel for their covenant unfaithfulness, we also see God's abundant mercy as he has called and summoned them to praise and worship him to give thanks to him. And he extends this call and this summons to us today as well. And what does God desire of us? He doesn't want us to carry out mere ritual, going through the motions. He wants our hearts, beloved. God desires a genuine heart of praise, of adoration, and obedience. And as it's true that everything is his, it's also true that God is the great and gracious and good giver. He is the great and the gracious and the good giver. All that we have is from his hand, life, possessions, gifts, blessings, skills, spiritual fruit. They are all from him and his works in us. Before we dive into the parable of the unjust steward, I'd like for you to turn with me for a moment to Psalm 84. As we consider a couple of passages, this being the first, regarding God being that great and gracious and good giver. Psalm 84, let's look at verses 8 through 12 in particular. As we see that he is the giver of all good things, okay, this good God is the giver of all good things to his people. In Psalm 84, beginning in verse 8, we read, the sons, And the sons of Korah said, O God, O, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace, note, and glory. 
No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now see a couple of things here. The psalmist has great love and adoration for God, doesn't he? Especially for his grace and his mercy. He longs to be in God's presence. Do we long to be in God's presence even as we are here now to gather together today? Do we long for this time and this opportunity? The psalmist yearns for the happiness and and joy that comes in the nearness of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And beginning in verse 8, we find his desire that his prayers would be heard by the living God. He knows the Lord's light and the Lord's protection. The psalmist knows his grace and his gifts. Now, my friends, know that God doesn't withhold any good thing from you. And this includes things that are good themselves, as well as those things that are good for us. We would do well to remember that afflictions fall in here. They're good for us. As he teaches, as he grows, as he trains us. Matthew Poole says this. He says, sometimes afflictions, which are evil in themselves, are good and necessary and highly advantageous to good men. And the good things of this world would do them much hurt. I think it's helpful to keep that proper perspective. Because sometimes we flip that upside down in our minds and inside out. Right? We think the things of this world, as tempting and tantalizing as they are, oh, that's really going to be good for me in the moment. But it's not. It brings hurt. The good things of God even as we may experience and learn those good things in the valleys of life, are really where also God provides the blessing and growth. So this truth is also in line with the Apostle Paul's words to the saints in Rome. Turn with me to Romans 8 now. Romans 8, 28 through 32, well-known passage, but let's look at this again for us today. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for what? For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And note verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My friends, we're blessed. (laughs) We are blessed beyond measure to have certainty that God will fully bestow all of the benefits of our salvation, the benefits of our union with Christ to us. We see this in the truth that God not only owns and governs all things, but he does so in our best interests and with our best interests in mind. But see also the magnitude and the supreme display of the love of the Father giving us his Son. 
have been given Christ to us to accomplish our redemption, God surely will freely give us all things that are truly good and in our best interest. And it's this truth about the divine good gift giver that paints a helpful backdrop as we look at faithful stewardship. And at first here, as we look at the unjust steward, the lack thereof. Now let's look back at Luke 16. Luke 16 and the first 13 verses. And as we consider Jesus' words in the parable of the unjust steward this morning, we'll look first at the steward's dilemma in verses 1 through 4. How the shrewd steward was praised in verses 5 through 12. And God's lesson to us that we can only serve one master in verse 13. So first the dilemma, and in verse 1 we read, and these are Christ's words to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now keep in mind, my friends, the context of this parable. It's wonderfully put in the holy, truthful, and inerrant, infallible word of God. This is right where the Lord wanted it to be in its order. Consider the context. Jesus had just taught his disciples the parable of the prodigal son. And this was the son who asked for his inheritance early, took it from his father. He left, he went, he lived the high life. He lived a debauched and depraved life. And he squandered all that had been given to him. The consequence of which was wallowing in the low life. Wallowing in the low life. Wallowing even in the pigsty. And so we see the initial connection with the steward accused of wasting his master's goods here, as well as Christ goes on. And remember what a steward is as we consider this parable. It's the person who is put in position and trusted by the owner and master to run his household. So that the owner is free from having to deal with the daily details of his life and household. And therefore, because the owner isn't closely involved, what else is true? It could be tempting and easy to take advantage of the situation when the boss isn't looking. Boss isn't around. I can uh, lean off things piece by piece, maybe do an end run underneath the table. And so what kind of wasting was this steward accused of? Well, the Greek word literally refers to scattering or squandering. That's what this wastefulness is referring to. This steward was alleged to have embezzled or misapplied or otherwise was lazy or careless with his master's possessions so that his master suffered great loss. And notice that his actions were so concerning to some that they reported this to his master. And having received this report, what did the master do? Well, he did what a responsible master would do. He called his steward to come to and talk to him about what he had heard. Look at verse 2. So he called him and said to him, 
What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. My friends, here we find the rich man disappointed with his steward. He had trusted him with his household, with his family, with his worldly goods. And now he's receiving this report of incredible mismanagement. He was disappointed. He expected more from him. And yet it's clear in the master's difficult decision that the allegations were found to be true. The rich man had to do then what was right and let the steward go. He could no longer be his steward. The master said to the steward, in essence, you're fired. You're done. Beloved, one thing that is important here is that we reflect and see how we are much like the steward. We should. We should see that. We all should. For he represents all people as we have all squandered God's goods by our unfaithfulness. And just as the steward had to face his master and give account for his stewardship, so too, on that last day, the Apostle Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and why and what will happen that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And as we consider this, man, I'm toast. But praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God as we considered earlier in this great and good gift giver, the one whom the Father sent to us to die for us, to save us, to be our Savior, our Lord, and our Master, to unite us to himself. We are in him. Praise him for the forgiveness of our sins. Praise him that we are covered by Christ's blood and righteousness. Praise Him that when we stand before Christ on that day, for He is the just judge we will stand for. He knows us. And He sees His blood that has covered us. He sees that righteousness, His righteousness, that has been placed on our account. But Jesus goes on to show us the stewards, then, His internal dilemma. So here the, the master has just confronted this man. And now we see this internal talk in the steward's mind in verses 3 and 4 as he's on his way out, clearly. And he asks himself the important question, what should he do now that, that he's without a job and being kicked out of his house, out of the master's house? Because keep in mind, that's where the steward stayed as he governed the master's belongings and his goods. He said he couldn't dig or work. But this was truly out of unwillingness, not lack of ability. But neither would he humble himself even to the point of begging, right? because he was too proud to do that. And so he had to come up with a solution quickly, didn't he? Time was ticking. He had to come up with a solution quickly. And, and what does he resolve to do? He had no job. He would soon have no home. And notice what Christ says in verse 5. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him 
and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. In these verses, beloved, along with the negotiation in verse 7, the steward was resolved to do what was unjust. He was dishonest. He was shrewd or clever as he used his understanding of the situation to his own advantage. Keep in mind that the law forbade the Jews to take usury interest on a loan. And so he likely got around that regulation by overcharging through reworking his master's old bills into new bills. And he went to all of the debtors of his master and he made it look like a, a sweet deal. Right? He lowered their bills and why? We're going to see this even more clearly in the following verses. Why did he do that? So that he could win himself friends among his master's debtors. To win himself friends. Because they then owed the master less and the, the benefit would go to the steward and they would see how, how reasonable, how nice of a guy, how winsome of a guy he was and maybe he could get in with one of them for future stewardship. But notice what the master's response was. In verse 8. Was he angry upon learning this? Even livid to what the steward had done? No. Did he call the ex-steward a, a crook? No, he didn't. What did he do? So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. And here's an explanation. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. There's a lesson in that we'll consider in a moment. The master, in essence, gave him a hat tip, right? Commending and recognizing that the steward had outwitted him. But what do we need to learn here? Jesus makes the distinction here between the children of this world and the children of light. He is making the point that heathens, that worldly people, often use what they have to further their own interests for their future more wisely than sons and daughters of light do to further the mission of Christ's church and to further his kingdom. And this should sting a little bit. It should give us pause to consider as well as to give us zeal to look out and forward in the mission of the church and in the future of heaven. And yet we see that the central theme Jesus moves to is mammon, don't we? It's money. Look at verse 9. He said, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now this can be somewhat of a difficult verse to understand and interpret on the one hand. On the other hand, I think Christ's message to us is clear. And some of you may be thinking, now, now, Pastor, wait, what does Jesus mean by make friends for ourselves with unrighteous mammon? Now, Jesus isn't saying that money is evil here. 
The love of money is the root of all evil. That is true. But if the corrupt person is smart enough to manage his money, how much more is it right and important for us as the children of light to manage our money? That which the Lord has blessed us with and given us with and trusted to our care. Jesus is saying that we must be careful in how we use our worldly, worldly goods. He's teaching us that we should use our perishable wealth in ways so that we have a good witness of Christ to those around us. And by his grace, gain imperishable friends. Who's similar to those who would receive the unjust steward into their earthly home in the future. When we die, they'll receive us into our eternal homes. And thus living in this way shows that we have wisdom in eternal things. That the children of this world show in temporal things. So again, we see the children of the world and the children of light made distinct. But we also see the management and the stewardship of goods. Even worldly, earthly goods, those things that the Lord has given us physically here, tangibly here, and how they ought to be used. We have an eternal mindset. Children of this world have a temporal mindset. The children of this world know how to live according to their principles. The important question for us is, do we know how to live according to ours? And those that the Lord sets for us in Scripture. Remember, all that we have comes from God. But we are stewards in the kingdom of God, and God requires just stewardship of us. Not unjust stewardship. But look at Christ's words in verse 10 through 12. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Beloved, if you're not faithful in how you handle your worldly goods in regards to God's kingdom, if everything else comes first, and then God gets what's left, how can you expect Him to bless you in your life? Is God and your priority of Him? The evidence of your love and affection to Him the adoration, the service to him, of him coming first, if that is not evident in how we live, and how we live with the things that he has given us, how can we expect such blessing? But then Jesus drives the point further in verse 13. Look there. As he really brings it to a very clear point and culmination. No servant can have can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and mammon. Beloved, though we often convince ourselves that we can have both, God teaches us what is true about exclusive service. And this is true throughout God's law, isn't it? It's true throughout His world. Right? He desires worship of Him alone, no one else. He desires our love, He desires our service. He desires our obedience exclusively to no one else but Him. And so as we consider these things, the bottom line is that you can't serve your worldly possessions and serve Christ in His kingdom. If what you have is your master, Christ can't be your master. But if Christ is your master, what you have can't be your master. Christ has given us love and loyalty as wonderful gifts, my friends. And he calls us to love and loyalty that is exclusively reserved for him. So I'll leave you with this. See that in and of yourself, in your flesh, you are no different than the unjust steward in unfaithfulness. In sinful shrewdness in your thoughts and your plans and your actions to take care of number one, to take care of numero uno at the expense of others. But praise God for your Savior who has redeemed you and freed you and called you to serve Him as a just steward with all that He has committed to your care. And oh, how much has he given us, hasn't he? He has given us so much. We blaze through this life quickly. Pedal to the metal sometimes. And we miss on a daily basis often. The details and the blessing and the benefit and the depth of the love of God that's evident in his blessings and gifts to us. But see afresh also how you must be committed to the wise use of what God has entrusted you to the, to the benefit and service of Christ and his kingdom purposes now, today. Right? We're looking forward in our stewardship, of course, to heaven. But this also very much influences today and tomorrow. What does this look like in the details of your life? I encourage you to consider that. Ask the Lord to open your eyes and understanding into seeing that even more clearly. And importantly, what change or, or changes should come as a result of living in such wisdom? For we would be blind to think or to be headstrong in saying, yes, we're doing it all right. No. But what changes would the Lord bring to your mind and in your life to be more in line and living according to such wisdom?
even in regards to your finances and your money. We'll consider more of this next week, Lord willing. But finally, don't buy into the lie that you can have your cake and eat it too. That you can serve two masters. That you can idolatrously serve what you have and Christ. Because if what you have is what you worship, it's idolatry. It's an idol. And how much and how easy is money or mammon an idol? So easy. But be committed to Christ, your true Lord and Master. Be wholeheartedly committed to loving and serving Him alone. Doing what is well-pleasing in His sight. Managing and covering that which He has given to your care and in your stead to His glory. Amen. Praise God for His word. Let's pray together.